Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, good morning, good morning, and a pleasant good Friday morning to each and every one of you. The weekend is nearly upon us. And we welcome you to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. I'm Tom Brenneman. We come your way Monday through Friday, 10A to noon P. You can find us, follow us, as we stream live on YouTube slash Chatterbox Sports. We also stream every day live on Facebook, the Chatterbox Sports page. And if you'd prefer to join us in podcast form, just search Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman, wherever you find your podcast. And you're dialed in. I tell you what, and look, you can see it just as well as I can. The Reds, without a doubt, have something special in Nick Lodolo. One of the traits of a good pitcher is when you go to the mound against a good big league team and big league hitters with less than your best stuff, and you still find a way to shut them down. That was Nick Lodolo last night. The TCU alum struggled with his command, didn't have good location on his fastball. He struggled with his breaking ball, which is normally very good, yet he battled. And it was good enough to go five innings, two-run baseball. He struck out six, did throw nearly 100 pitches in five innings. Remember now, this was back-to-back starts for Lodolo against Philadelphia. The last time when he did have his good stuff, he went seven and struck out 12. A rare accomplishment. The Reds get great work from their bullpen. Four innings of one-hit shutout baseball. They beat Philadelphia in the opener of that four-game series at GABP 6-2, the final score. Game two of the series tonight. Tickets are available. Connor over... Why are you laughing at that? (laughs) No reason. Tickets are available, Tom. Casey, Paul, good morning. Look at Casey donning the Reds jacket, the jersey or jacket, jersey. Jersey. And uh, Reds lid. Yeah. Uh, it's a, they won, so I decided to wear some of this. And then I'm also going to the game. So fireworks Friday. Dialed yeah. in. Nice. We're going to get a big win. Who are you going with? Uh, I'm going with Sir Boy. Sir Boy Wonder? Wait, are you actually? Yeah. Nice. He offered tickets yesterday, and I said, man, I wish I could go. I would go another time. And he said, what about tomorrow? I said, yeah, sure, why not? So That's awesome. Yeah, we uh, we totally missed the boat on that yesterday. He offered first row in the scouts club right behind the plate. He tweeted at Chatterbox, and we were in meetings all day, and we got out, and we had missed it. And Well, he says right here after the debacle we call a show yesterday in Casey's behavior, he says – Casey ain't going to ban me today. <laughs> no, I'm not. I don't have any power anymore, so no ban. You were stripped of your powers? I was. Chatterbox Sports took them away from me. So now I, I no longer have the ability <laughs> to ban. <laughs> I think that's a bit drastic, taking away your banning powers. Because uh, we do get some clowns in from time to time. Most of the time, pretty good. But uh, well, As long as the chat forgives me, I guess I can regain some of my, my power okay. and control of the chat. First pitch tonight, by the way, is at 640. And Casey will be there with Sir Boy Wonder. 
The story, though, in Major League Baseball continues to be the extraordinary start of the Tampa Bay Rays. They tied a Major League record, their 13th consecutive win to start the season. Just blew Boston out 9-3, to scored seven runs in the fifth inning. They go for the all-time record, modern-day record, of 14 straight. That is tonight in Toronto. Did you get a uh, attendance? You know, I don't know if baseball has intentionally done this and gotten the press to go along with them or whatever, but no longer in the Major League Baseball box scores do you find attendance numbers. Oh, really? Nowhere. If you go to ESPN, click on the box score, they have everything you want to know about the entire game, a play-by-play of the entire game if you so choose it. You want to know what the attendance is for the Rays really quickly? What was the Rays' attendance yesterday? The Rays' attendance yesterday was, was $21,775. Wow. All right. Very nice. Maybe they're trying to save the franchise. How about the Tigers manager, A.J. Hinch? Did you see this story? All right. Last night, yesterday... He watches Javier Baez, former Cub. Guy's been a great player for a long time, right? Not so much last year after signing the big deal with Detroit. But Baez hits a ball. He starts jogging out of the box. He thinks he has a home run. It wasn't. He was lucky to get a double because he was jogging. Then Baez at second base forgot how many outs there were. And on a routine fly ball, he runs into a double play to end the inning. So once Baez comes back into the dugout, his manager, Hinch, escorts him away from the view of the cameras, down the steps of the dugout, and promptly pulls him out of the game. Now, Hinch did say Baez is normally one of the team's smarter players, but that he felt like he had to send a message to his player and his team. Says he'd been very sloppy from a mental standpoint lately. Baez, to his credit, said after the game, he respects the manager's decision. Atlanta shortstop Orlando Arcia is out indefinitely with a fracture in his left wrist. Arcia, who's off to a great start, was hit with a Hunter Green fastball on Wednesday night in Atlanta. In the NBA, final two play-in games tonight. Final two spots in the postseason to be determined. In the East... Chicago goes to Miami, and the winner will face Milwaukee, the top seed in the East in the opening round. Out West, Oklahoma City travels to Minnesota. The winner of that game faces a number one seed, Denver Nuggets. First round series, four of them begin tomorrow, including Cleveland and the Knicks at 6P tomorrow night. I noticed Casey's going to the Reds game tonight because he can't be anywhere else than in front of a television tomorrow night. Correct. That would be to watch FC Cincinnati looking to stay unbeaten. It goes on the road. That's tomorrow night to take on St. Louis. They go by the name St. Louis City FC. Don't screw that up now. Can't be St. Louis FC, can't be FC St. Louis, it's St. Louis City FC. Hmm. They're having a good year. They're five wins, two losses, no draws, 
FC Cincinnati, five wins, no losses, two draws. And FC Cincinnati sits atop the MLS East standings. And then in heartbreaking news to our good friend Paul Fritchner, Daniel Schneider's reign as owner of the Washington Commanders is coming to a close. Josh Harris, who co-owns the Philadelphia 76ers of the NBA and the New Jersey Devils of the NHL, has agreed to terms to buy the Commanders for over $6 billion. The deal is expected to be approved by the league owners in late May. Daniel Snyder, you call him a lot of things, and he has earned the right to be called a lot of things. But when you buy a team for $800 million and you sell it for $6 billion, that's not bad. No, but if he was... That ROI is pretty solid. Oh, you're right, but if he was even halfway competent, maybe they would have been worth $10 billion. Well, I tell you what. I would let people call me incompetent if my ROI... What's that percentage return? Like a little over 600%. I'll take it. Wouldn't you? Oh, well, yeah. For every one of your wagers on Betfred Sports, would you like a 600% return on investment? Sure. All right. Fair enough. Not if I have to deal with Dan Snyder, though. Well, you got a point there. I told you about my rubbing elbows with Dan Snyder. Yeah, I told did. that story on the program before. With him and Tom Cruise. Now, there's a yeah. big leaguer. As far as just treating people great, Tom Cruise is the ultimate big leaguer. I know they say he's a little bit of whack job and that, you know, what is it, Scientology and all that stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, he's way out there. There's no doubt about it. But as far as just treating people the way you would want to be treated in the very limited amount of time I saw him in a hotel and then the next day in an NFL game, Tom Cruise was a big leaguer. Didn't Tom? You know what? Never mind. Go ahead. No. What were you going to say, Paul? Didn't Tom what? <laughs> I mean, I love Tom Cruise. But wasn't you he? You love him as an actor. Yeah. 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 Who doesn't? I just never got the impression that that was the, the public impression of him. Oh, I, I mean, I've never heard anything bad about him. In fact, when they were um, when they were filming uh, the most recent Mission Impossible, right? Or no, no, no. I'm no, sorry. You, the, the one, the 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 Top Gun. Top Gun, the second one, Maverick. Yeah. They they taped a lot of that um, in uh, Coronado, California. And I have a sister-in-law who lives in Coronado, California. We were out visiting her, and they were shooting a scene that day. Uh, and we had run into, uh, we had talked to a lot of the different restaurant owners. And I'm talking greasy spoon joints. I'm not talking about highfalutin restaurants. I'm just talking about some breakfast joints right there along the main drag, Orange Avenue through Coronado. And they said that every time Cruz came in, he was just off the charts great. So. That's good. You only go by how, how, how you saw him. You know what I mean? Yep. But then you listen to the word of mouth from some others. And uh, anyway, okay. Um, 
We have lots of football on this Friday coming up on Off the Bench. At 10.30, we will talk with Jay Morrison, all that is Bengals. Jay from The Athletic does a great job covering the team. At 11, we shift gears to college football, and we will visit with Dave Biddle. He covers all that is Ohio State. The Mighty Buckeyes have their spring game tomorrow in Columbus, and recently we talked about yesterday, they have just been tearing it up on the recruiting trail. But a lot of big questions about Ohio State going into the season. Uh, obviously, you got to replace C.J. Stroud at quarterback. It starts there. And you got bookend tackles, both of whom uh, might be first-round picks. Certainly, the kid Paris Johnson Jr. from Princeton High School will be a number-round pick. He'll be a top-15 pick. And then uh, a lot of conversation about Dewan Jones, the other tackle. Will he be a first-round pick? He'll certainly be in the top two rounds. So the Buckeyes have to replace both of those guys for this upcoming season. Then at 11.30, it's back to the NFL. Matt Lane will be here. He's been a friend of the program for a long time. And Casey's going to be talking about those Kansas City Chiefs. Mm. The reigning Super Bowl champions twice in the last four years. Three trips to the Super Bowl in the last five. The team, the Bengals, continue to chase. The Bengals want to be the Chiefs. Are you willing to admit that you would agree with that statement. Yay or nay? Uh, I don't know if they want to be the Chiefs. I think they want to be the Bengals and beat the Chiefs. I think they want to do it their own way. But I'll, I'll give you that they're chasing them in a way. I know that our records might not show that in the uh, regular season. But, I mean, they got a ring before us, before we were good. So, I don't know. But the one thing I actually wanted to talk about really quickly yes. that is football-related for FCC, um, <laughs> it was pretty much determined that Brenner was going to be traded and transferred um, in July at some point. So FC is going to be losing one of its top goal scorers from last year. Um, he's going to be moving on to uh, – I don't know how to even pronounce the other team or whatever league it's in, but it, it, he's moving on to Syria. What is it? The league. I don't know yeah, what team. I, I don't. I didn't see what team he's going to. Yeah. But so he hasn't been doing great this season, anyways. But it's always a um, a little bit of a uh, worrisome when you lose one of your top goal scorers from last year. So. See, that's what I don't understand about the whole soccer world, and I need to get more educated about this thing. I, I, I just don't understand the whole thing. I, I really don't. I mean, I know there are leagues all over the world. It, it, answer this for me if either one of you can. If you were a great soccer player and you could play in any league in the world as your primary job, Okay? Yeah. Right? So, like, if you asked a baseball player, where would you want to play? You wouldn't say the Japanese league. You wouldn't yeah. say the Mexican league. Right? You would say Major League Baseball. Right? Right. Yeah. Okay. So, for soccer, if someone from any league were to call every league, 
were to call you up on the phone and said, I want you to come play for my team in this league, what league would it be? Premier League in yeah. England. The English Premier League. Okay. And, and they're playing the same time right now as the MLS is playing? They, they play through the – yeah, they start in like August, September. I was going to say, they play in the winter months, and they right? Play, they play through the winter months, yep. Yeah. And but some guys play both? No, nobody plays MLS and goes over there. Okay. All right. Now, so you can't play both even now, though the seasons may not overlap. No, yeah. I mean, the seasons don't completely overlap, but they overlap enough because okay. the MLS starts in late February, early March, and the Premier League season doesn't end until like around May. I mean, it's different because you got to remember there's no playoffs in, in soccer. You just the, – the team that wins is the best team at the end of the regular season. So because there's no – championship series or playoff or postseason or whatever the league the league still finishes out their season but you might determine a champion a lot sooner one season than the other season whatever it might be so I mean I don't I don't watch the Premier League only because it's too early on Saturday mornings for me to get up and watch but sometimes when you get those random afternoon games or night games because it's the time change is tough. But. Well, I was over there uh, doing the uh, NFL. I, I, a number of those games they play over in, in uh, London. I went over there yeah. and, and broadcast for Fox. Um, and it, it was unbelievable, the following. I mean, you know, we, we'd get there four or five days early and, you know, walk around the corner into a pub, you know, right by the hotel. And, I mean, packed full of people in there watching. And that was during the, the fall, you know, November, whatever it was. Um, so... It, so, before we have a couple other things to talk about before we get to Jay Morrison, if you're a player, a great soccer player, you can just get picked up right now if one of those teams, even though they're not playing their season yet, if somebody in the English Premier League loved a player on FC Cincinnati, they could call you in the middle of your season while you're under a contract with another team. Yep. They could call you immediately and say, Hey, quit that team. Come over right now and start the workouts for our season with our team. It's not no, app- it's not it's not exactly like it, that. It's not apples to apples, but a good way to think about it is like the minor leagues. No, well, that's what I'm saying. They can just jerk you away right now if you want to leave. Well, even though team, you have a contract with another team and another employer. The team has to agree to a transfer and that means that they have to, it's like a trade. So like they're not getting Brenner for free. Like they're not just plucking him. They're having to fork over like thirteen million dollars, which is a lot for the MLS. Like and there, are, yeah, and there are only certain times that you can do it too. Like it's all there. There. So there's a, windows of this. Yeah, there are there are intricacies to it. Yeah, that's actually the, that's a good. Yeah, I mean that literally is what it's called. But the team, windows, the yeah. team can deny a transfer because he was supposed to be traded or transferred last year, but they denied him from going to the English Premier League because the teams weren't forking over enough money for their evaluation of the player. So, yes, it, it stinks. In, in my eyes, it stinks. But it could end up being that we get another really great player okay. with $13 million. So, so could they trade you a player? No, not no. necessarily. You, you basically, you pay a, a transfer. Kind of like you do with a, excuse me, with a Japanese league in Major League Baseball. You pay the team. If you want Shohei to come over or yeah. Ichiro or whatever it is, the Major League team pays – that Japanese league team, $10 million, $15, whatever it is, right? And then he comes over. You're, you're trading for cash considerations is the easiest way to say okay. it. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, that's fair enough. 
Um, someone in the chat said uh, the Reds win last night and we're talking football. <laughs> the Reds play every day. We're not going to break down every Reds game this season. That ain't happening. But last night, I mean, if you're a Reds fan, last night was just a rock-solid game to watch, right? Yeah, yeah. Rock-solid game. Your, your starter was good. He wasn't great, but he was good. And I talked about it before. That's, that's a sign. Steve Stone, my old partner with the Cubs, who still broadcasts a White Sox game now, um, won a Cy Young Award as a pitcher with the Baltimore Orioles, won 25 games in a season, um, and then got hurt and was never the same again. But – uh, as sharp a baseball mind as I've ever met in my life. I learned more from Steve Stone about the game of baseball than anybody I've ever been around uh, the six years I was doing the Cubs games. And he used to say to me all the time, roughly to the effect, as a starting pitcher, that if you get 32 starts over the course of a year, there are going to be eight or nine of them where you have your best stuff. Okay, so less than a third. There are going to be that many when you don't have much at all. And, you know, and then you have the other third, a little more than a third, the, the, the majority, in fact, where it's okay. You know, you might be, you should say, you might be in the, in the bullpen, and, man, you are locating that fastball, or your slider has just got incredible tilt to it and all these kinds of things. And then now you're walking to the mound from the bullpen, and you really feel good about your stuff. And then you get on the stadium mound because they're all a little different. They say they're the same, but they're not if you talk to pitchers. They're all a little different. Even though there are rules and regulations, a little, little tinkering going on there. Um, and then you'll get out there and, man, where was the location on that fastball that I had 30 minutes ago in the bullpen? Where was the, the, the break on that slider I had uh, 30 minutes ago in the bullpen. And now you got to navigate your way through the game and try to just navigate. That's the best word. And that's what Lodolo did last night. If you watched his last start against Philadelphia, I mean, he bang on the outside corner, bang on the inside. He did pitch in a lot more last night than I remember him pitching in the past. But I don't watch the full game every game. I'm not sitting around watching a baseball game for two and a half hours, three and a half hours every night. Um, but I did watch a lot last night, and, and, and he was pitching in, in, in quite a bit. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that he knew he didn't have his best stuff. Yet he found a way, you know, high pitch count, worked around what could have been a disaster uh, in the first inning. He ends up giving up two runs, throws nearly 100 pitches through five, but he only allows two. The difference between the good guys and the middle-of-the-road guys are the guys who walk out the door of 100 pitches in five innings, and instead of giving up two runs, they give up four, or they give up five, or they just, you know, they can't get an out with the bases loaded already down 2 nothing, and it's 5 nothing, and you're going, what the heck just happened here? That was Adola last night. He, he just continued to battle. Uh, Casale walked him through the game. Um, impressive. And then the bullpen. Look, nobody kills a bullpen more than me. But give credit where credit is due. All of this on the heels, by the way. I don't know if you saw this. 
But David Bell had a meeting, about a 10-minute meeting with his team before the game yesterday. Said he was very proud of the effort, the way they're playing, and that things were going to start turning in their direction, winning rather than losing. What a no, since a meeting. It's a big deal. I mean, whatever he said, I don't know if it'll eventually translate into the rest of the team playing well, but, I mean, it worked so far, right? So I think this goes for a lot of Reds fans. Where I got a text. I was talking to somebody who watches pretty much every Reds game um, last night or the night before. We were just kind of going back and forth about it, and I said, man, it's, it just, it's nice seeing them. It was last night because they were winning. And he texted me back, and he said, I'll tell you one thing. It is just so much more fun watching the Reds this year than it, than it was last year. Yes. Yeah. And whether they, com- whether they are competitive at the end of the year or not, whether they're over 500, whether they are over their win total, at least for right now, what the Reds are doing is a whole lot more fun yes. than just beating your head against the wall like what we saw for 162 games last year. There was a little bit in June and July last year That's where right. it kind of gave you hope. And, and you know, after that, what, 3-22 and 22 start, yep. you're thinking to yourself, oh, okay. Like, yeah, for a while, they kind of hung in there the, after that. The May, June, July wasn't terrible. It wasn't and terrible. They, and then they fell off a cliff at the end. But you're thinking to yourself, ah, ah, ah. But now, at least what we're seeing is fun to watch. Yes, it They is. might not be winning it. But the games are close, they're exciting, they're fun to watch. There's no doubt about it. I agree with you. A- a- astute observation there, 1,000%. Some of our, uh, before we get to Jay Morrison, some of our uh, fans in the chat want to know, Casey, if you're bringing your glove to the game tonight. Do oh, you no. have a glove? I do not have a glove. You don't? No. Okay. All right. I don't need a glove. Poofy-haired fancy boy, I do not hate baseball. That's just r- the ridiculous take. You're smarter than that. The one I like the best, though, I have to tell you. Of all of these, based on what happened yesterday, where did this go? Uh, someone in the chat made the uh, the comment that, oh, here it is. Everett said, funny that Casey is wearing red after what happened yesterday. Communist dictator vibes in full swing <laughs> in bed with the Chinese Communist Party. They better watch out if I get that band back. <laughs> All right. Well, we know a freedom-loving American from right up here in Hamilton, Ohio, who, of course, spent his most glorious years at The Ohio University in Athens, Ohio, he is none other than our good friend from The Athletic, Jay Moore. Jay, you're looking mighty sharp today. I mean, you got the button down going, the whole deal. You got somewhere to go today. What do you got going on? Just here. I had to class it up for the show. Oh, boy. Well, you'd be the first. I mean, look at these two guys I'm working with for crying out loud. I mean, come on. Well, what's the age? Um, I heard you guys talking before I came on. What's the age cutoff where you're you're not allowed to take a glove to a ball game anymore? Is it 18? I, I never have a problem with people bringing a glove to a ball game because you never know. I I don't know. Mine's like 16, 15. Six, 16 was always mine, Jay. 16 was what yeah. I said. See, but you guys don't have kids. Well, I was okay. Just I have sat yeah. in the stands in games that I wasn't broadcasting, and and down to third baseline a little bit. Jay, you've been down there, yeah. and all of a sudden those rockets come flying down, foul ball into the stands. If you've got little kids with you, man, you you got to be on it. So if there's a dad who wants to bring a glove to a game, I say God bless him. 
Ryan Braun nearly broke my arm in one of those seats. You were probably broadcasting the game. It was the first uh, 1235 game that ever appeared on Fox Sports Ohio because uh, they didn't used to do those day games. Yeah. And I took my son. We were in the front row down the left field line. He turned on one. I stupidly stood in there and tried to catch it barehanded, and it, it hit my forearm, and I couldn't use my arm the rest of the day. I couldn't even take my wallet out of my my pocket. I, it fell right at my feet, and I picked it up and handed it to my son, and he was thrilled, but I was really, really sore. Yeah, those things, as my old uh, broadcast partner Ron Santo used to say, Hall of Famer Ron Santo, those foul balls come to eat. There's no mercy there. Um, all right. Uh, here we are. We are officially less than two weeks away from the NFL draft. At The Athletic, uh, you, you've conducted, I don't know how many years you've done it now because The Athletic's not been around all that long. Um, you uh, asked fans to basically give a first through, um, uh, what, seventh round uh, of their yeah. picks, uh, and then you listed the most, the second most, so on and so forth. When, when you do that drill – um, based on how many you've done, first of all, how many have you done? And, and, and do they even come close to what actually happens? Um, honestly, this is the second year we've done it. Um, so I started in 18, but I started after the draft. And um, uh, the, the reporters in Detroit were the first ones that we saw do it. And we liked the idea. And of course, we stole it. And I don't feel bad about stealing an idea from a, from a teammate, from a colleague. Um, and I do think the readers like it. I honestly can't remember last year's how accurate people were. Um, that's the thing about mock drafts. Like everybody does them. You do all these different iterations. And then once the draft happens, they just go out the window. Like mm. nobody goes back and grades them to see how accurate or inaccurate or you it's just all uh it's just fodder leading up to the draft. And it is fun, but um I, I think a lot of people realize what the exercise is and don't take it too seriously. But um, that's what I tried to have fun with this piece. I, I invited people to send me their mocks and um, got close to 90. It, it made for a long week trying to – I put everybody's picks in an Excel uh, spreadsheet and wow. and sorted it all out and came up with the composite picks. And um, it is it, – it's fun. It's it's a fun way to engage with, with readers and subscribers. And uh, I hope the fans are wrong, that the fans pick in the first round was Kalijah Kansi, the, the defensive tackle from Pittsburgh, and not opposed to going defensive line in the first round. But I just think um, the, the comparisons there with, with him and Aaron Donald are, number one, are not fair, and number two might be a stretch anyhow because you just look at what, what the Bengals typically prefer out of those defensive linemen, and it's taller, longer arms, and Cansey's a terrific player, but he's got shorter arms in their template. He's shorter. Um, I, I think he's going to have his work cut out for him to, to live up to that first-round billing. All right, based on what we know, because we've not had you, Jay, on the program since the Bengals yeah. signed Scott, since they signed Irv Smith Jr. Uh, they addressed clearly uh, the safety position after Von Bell and Jesse Bates leave. We know that um, Dax Hill will be the other starting safety. Um Based on where the team is now, what they've done so far in free agency, it, 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 how would you rank one, two, three? Um, what what position they're most likely to draft in the first round? Now I know it's dependent upon the twenty seven teams that pick in front of them, but in a mm -hmm. perfect world, it, it would be one, two, three. What? Uh, well, it, I don't know about the order, but I, I think. By the time Friday night ends, they, they should have an offensive lineman, preferably a tackle, um, a cornerback, and a tight end. 
And even the Irv Smith signing, it, it that's still a position in need. He's he's had injury history throughout his career, his young career. Um, so it's he, he's on a very cheap prove it deal. That that's that was not a fix. That was I don't want to say a, a prayer. It, it's a it's a solid investment, and and there is a very high ceiling there. But you you can't be lulled into this sense of security where okay, tight end is no longer an issue. It's still a huge issue. I just don't. I don't see them reaching for a tight end in the first round. Had they not signed Smith, maybe tight end would be the odds on favorite to be a first round pick. But I think that at least opens up the options where they can go anyway. Um, the the way the top 27 goes is really going to dictate that because I, I think if, if Darnell Wright specifically is there, then he would be the pick, um, the, the, the right tackle from mm -hmm. Tennessee. If he's not there, I think you're going to see them lean back on their tried and true plan of – of stocking that secondary and they don't need a cornerback right away. And they signed Sidney Jones. They signed a number four cornerback, but I still Cheeto coming off of the ACL um, Cam Taylor, Britt still being young. It, it just where those contracts are going to eventually come due. And you just, you need a lot of good corners. You can never have enough corners. And this is a good, it, it, this draft hits them. Well, I think there's, they're going to have their pick of, of three, two or three corners that could really help them in that 28 spot. So those are the three positions. I know a lot of people are big on running back, um, but I, I, I still think you can wait till the, the fourth round to attack that. And then maybe again in the seventh and then definitely with undrafted free agency. And and I do want to say uh, you, you rattled off the free agents. Thank you for not bringing up Orlando Brown Jr. Because I don't know if it was the last time I was on the show, but one of the times I was on the show, you asked me if he was a possibility. I said, no way, no way. <laughs> well, I don't think anybody that saw that coming. Right. Yeah. The Bengals didn't even think that was going to happen, but uh, yeah, I will. I'm willing to admit when I was wrong. Uh, well, you weren't wrong. I, I mean, I, I think that everybody just looked at it and thought that, no, that they're not going to do it. They've never shown a track record of necessarily going out and, and getting the biggest guy at any position. I mean, they've gotten yeah. some good guys through the years, and they found some really nice bargains through the years, uh, just in recent years, especially on the defensive side. But but uh, but but not the biggest guy uh, fish in the in the in the ocean, so to speak. And that's what they got with, with Brown Jr. But um just to clarify, to make sure I understood this, because we were debating this the other day. Jones is here to replace Eli Apple, right? No chance Apple comes back? I wouldn't say no chance, but I it, it feels like they've tired of of his antics, and he's not he's still available. Yeah. Um, so if there was interest there, you'd think it would have happened by now. So, yeah, he's... He is signed to be the number four corner and, and you know, the, the first one in case there is an injury that could that could fill in at one of those outside spots. OK, uh, the Mixon thing. All right. We we had um, a lengthy conversation about this and perhaps you have some knowledge of, of this situation. If I ran the Bengals and clearly I don't and I never will. But, you know, there are so many different sort of layers to this thing and, and different compartments to this thing. Clearly, number one being the legal part of it. I mean, what ultimately is going to happen here with Mixon and, and so forth, charges, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So if you separate that now into the player Mixon, and we've talked a lot about him when you've been on the show, about what he's done, what he's not done, whatever the case may be. Um, it seems to me, though, that if, if, if the Bengals are getting at least some kind of information from wherever or whoever, that, that, that this is not going to lead to serious legal trouble for Mixon. 
it seems to me that I would be having the conversation with Nixon and his people about the possibility of redoing his contract to see if he would go along with it before we get to the draft, long before we get to June 1st when they can cut him loose uh, and, and save a lot of money on the salary cap. Do, do you think that that would be a wise decision? Do you think it's going on? Yes, I do. I, I think it would be, I think it's a mandatory decision. And I, that I do think that that, um, if, if it hasn't happened yet, it will happen before the draft. They need to know where they stand, whether he's at least willing to consider taking a pay cut. You just, you can't pay a running back 12.8 million this year. When you, when you're talking about extending Joe Burrow, possibly extending T Higgins, um, just what, what running back what it has become in the league anyhow. And then you're, you're starting to see that that fall off from Joe Mixon. And they the Bengals structured this contract, this four-year, $48 million deal that they did a few years back. They structured this with – they structured that with this in mind where it's very easy to get out of if he does fall off the cliff. And they typically they don't do that. They like to honor contracts. And that's that's one of the, the selling points when they negotiate is, hey, you're going to get every dollar of this deal – because um, there are no most very few guaranteed contracts in the league, but it it has to happen. And I I don't know that you're not going to see the team cut Joe based on what these what these charges are. His court hearing, I believe, is is Wednesday um, uh, coming up this 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 coming Wednesday. So in in five days, uh, maybe it's continued. I don't know, but the. The, the decision about Joe Mixon's future with the team is going to come down to money um, if they haven't cut him yet over these charges. And you can always hide behind, hey, he hasn't been proven guilty, but it's a bad look. Um, it's, it's, it's just I don't think you're going to see anything happen because of the court case. It's going to be his refusal, if he does refuse, to take a pay cut because they are going to ask him if they haven't already. And it's probably going to be a significant one. You're, you're probably going to be talking about going from 128 into the five million range. You know Mixon a little bit. You think he's on board with that kind of thing? I mean, I know you don't have a crystal ball, and I know you're not his agent. But what do you think? Well, I think that's where the court case comes into play because this. I think the Bengals are going to value him more than other teams would, and maybe at first he says no and tries to see what's out there or what what other teams. Maybe his agent Peter Schaefer is already doing that and and kind of seeing what what his value would be if he was let go. Um, but this that hurts him. You've already got the pre-draft issue where, where he hit the woman on the, the day he turned 18, um, and everybody knows that story. So he came into the league with baggage, and he, he had, for the most part, had kept his nose clean until these, these recent incidents. And even the one that happened at his house, it, it was his house, but he wasn't right. charged with anything. But it's still, it's perception. It's a bad look, and, and that's going to affect your value. And um, I, I do, like I said, I think the Bengals are going to value him more than other teams will. And he's not going to be happy about taking a pay cut. But if that's your best offer, then it would make sense for him to stick around here where he's comfortable with the offense. He's comfortable with the coaching staff. Everybody wants to play with Joe Burrow. Um, he's been in a Super Bowl the last the two years ago, AFC Championship game last year. He's We know what the shelf life of running backs is, and his time is running out. If he wants to win a ring – I think his best shot is to stay here in Cincinnati. If he doesn't come back or agree to a pay cut, 
I believe they would have, what, Evans and Williams officially in the running backs room that's left. Would that put the Bengals in scramble mode at that point? I don't think so because you, you've seen it all across the league where, where these – these running backs look at the chiefs last year they won the super bowl with their primary running back being seventh round pick now you can't predict that but it it's out there it can happen you you see it all the time guys drafting the fourth round the fifth round undrafted free agents these running backs come from everywhere and this is not a run first offense the the, the main thing they need to do is get somebody in here that they really trust as a pass blocker yeah that's great if he gives you juice um in the run game and you do need to have a solid run game but the, the they don't I don't I'd be stunned even if B. John Robinson, who is the consensus number one overall running back uh, available in the draft, even if he somehow falls to twenty eight, I don't see them pulling that trigger. I I don't see them taking a, a, a running back, you know, before Saturday. I mean, maybe they take one in the second or third round, but um, they're not gonna. I don't think they're gonna know uh, what they have with or don't have with Mixon. By the draft, that the offer may be out there. There the the pay cut um, ultimatum, I guess you would say, might be out there. But I, you're not going to know for sure where that stands. So I don't think it would put them in scramble mode. The the only thing it would do is maybe you see them really really attack undrafted free agents. Say see and say, look, go get all the best running backs left and and call them on the phone as soon as the draft ends and say, hey. We've got, a, we've got Joe Burrow, we've got a great offense, and we've got openings at running back. This is the best place for you to come and uh, see how many of those guys they can sign. Um, one of your colleagues yesterday, uh, and I'm drawing a blank on the name at The Athletic, wrote that article. I'm sure you're familiar with the one that I'm talking about where um, uh, the, the, the question was asked about uh, the Bengals signing Higgins, signing Chase, signing Burrow, yeah. right? You know the article I'm talking about. Yeah, uh, Jeff Howard at that. Okay. Um, what, what, for, for those who didn't see it, I talked about it yesterday, and it, and, and, and it got into, you know, the financial structure and challenges the Bengals would face if they're paying Burrow, whatever it is they're paying him, paying Higgins 20-plus million, paying uh, Chase uh, 25 to 30 plus million and locking up all those guys long term and some of the ramifications. And I thought most interestingly was the teams around the league that have uh, a running backs room where they're spending, you know, over 20 or 30 million dollars. Uh, I'm sorry, in the wide receivers room uh, and how only um, uh, two of them were spending more than I think it was 10 million or 20 million uh, that even won a playoff game. Um, mm -hmm. what were your impressions of that article? Um, I, I get it because we, I've talked about this in the past, not just paying two wide receivers that much money, but, but it, to have a, a wide receiver and a running or a quarterback that are among the top paid in the league, it's just hard to do. And we saw it, Devonte Adams and Aaron Rodgers couldn't stay together in, in, t in Green Bay and, and Tyreek Hill and Patrick Mahomes couldn't stay together in, in Kansas City. It's, it's, it's really hard to to have those two the two most premium positions to have top five guys at both of those and now you're talking about t higgins which he wouldn't be at 20 million which is probably where he would come in he wouldn't be a top five but man you're if you're gonna load up on those three spots that's gonna make things really difficult and the, the good thing is they've they've done a good job of drafting and and that's how you that's how you can make that work is if you can just keep hitting in the draft and 
and restocking that talent and, and, and relying on a lot of quality players that are that are on rookie deals. I asked out at the owners meeting in, in Phoenix a couple of weeks ago, I asked Katie Blackburn that point blank where, yes, it's financially possible to, to sign all three of those guys. But is is it responsible? Is it realistic? And right. her response was, we'll see, which I I I, I took that to mean they're going to try. I, I, they would like to to keep T. Higgins around. Um, it would make sense on both sides to try to get that done before the draft. Um, for, from T's standpoint, if the Bengals go out and draft a, a T. Higgins-like wide receiver in the second round, he loses all his leverage. Not all of his leverage, but a lot of his leverage. Um, and then the Bengals would like to get it done because that, that kind of helps them direct their draft. And do they need to take a wide receiver earlier rather than later um i don't know that you'll see anything get done if it even if it gets done at all if it'll get done before the draft but the 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 article itself your original question about the, my impressions of it it's 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 always the these what what jeff did for people that aren't familiar with it he talked to nfl executives across the league mm -hmm. about what the bengals should do and most of them were of the opinion they should not pay T Higgins. Now, is that self-serving? Are they saying don't pay T Higgins because we want him, we want to sign him. You, you always have to wonder about what the motivation is in those comments. Um, hmm. But it, there is some truth there too, where yes, it's, you're making life very, very hard. If you're, if you have that much money wrapped up in three players. And I, I do think that there was some honesty in there as well as maybe some self-serving aspects to it that, might not be the best way to go, but this is such a dynamic offense and those three are such a key part of it. I, I can see the Bengals wanting to figure out a way to make it work. All right. All right. Well, Jay, we uh, we appreciate your time uh, very, very much. I know you're uh, around the clock nonstop leading up to the draft and shortly thereafter. Yeah. Schedule comes out shortly thereafter that. So we appreciate your time today. Thanks so much for joining us, Jay. All right. Thanks for having me, Tom. All right. Jay Morrison from The Athletic. Check that out, by the way, uh, the, mock, the mock draft thing. It was really interesting. A lot of fans uh, that, that he said, I mean, he's uploading in Excel, what 90 said. Uh, and it, it's really interesting. Uh, for those that aren't following players from Old Dominion, the tight end, or following this guy from Arkansas or whatever it might be, um, which, by the way, Jeremiah Davenport is going to Arkansas. I forgot to mention that in the open today. Yeah, yeah. Boy, there's reaching out of left field. But um, – you know what I'm saying here. It was very interesting. So, look, we got Dave Biddle coming up here in a minute. Ham and Eggers, take it away. Continue the conversation. We got lots of football talk here today. Ham and Eggers, Mr. President, we salute. It's that time of the show, the Ham and Eggers. These guys are great. Trust me, I would know. I introduce all the best segments. Talking a lot of football. The Bengals report is brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data center world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, uh, supporting both centralized and work-from-home computing models to improve efficiency and productivity. Visit Encore.tech. The path to innovation begins here. Also, there is a new premium alkaline water outs right in front of us. Casey's drinking it right now. It's Pawnee. Tastes great. As Casey says, made in Hamilton, Ohio, Pawnee uses natural limestone filtration, unlike the artificial processing that many other brands use. The result is a healthy alkaline water that is also the best tasting water in the world. Visit their website at PawneeWater.com. That's P-A-H-H-N-I-Water.com 
P-A-H-H-N-I-Water.com to see where you can buy this great tasting water. Drink Pawnee Water, get your coffee from UDF, bet with Betfred, and get your technology solutions from Encore.Tech. That is everything that we have for you on the advertisement side for this segment of the Ham and Eggers. Is there anything that's on your mind, Casey? You're going to the Reds game tonight. You're going with Sir Boy Wonder. Uh, the rain, I, the rain should hold off. The, yeah. I, I was looking at it, Xavier. We we, we have we have uh, a Xavier game this afternoon at three. As soon as I saw that, thinking to myself, uh oh, gonna be fighting the weather outside. No, we're all good. We're all good the rest of the night. There's a there's a chance for a sprinkle, but so it's all right. fireworks night. Does that happen even after a loss? It does. Got to cheer the fans up somehow. Fireworks Friday does not take a night off. Why? You don't. Uh oh. Are you about to say they shouldn't do it after a loss? No. Who cares? You lost. Why? Why would you celebrate a loss? That makes no sense. Casey, okay, so you got to get the fans in the door somehow. You put a winning product on the field. That's how you do it. Oh, God. Oh, it's no, a cherry Casey. on top for fireworks celebration. Oh, no. Which it doesn't matter because they're going to win tonight anyways. That's right. We're going to win tonight anyways. Oh, so. man. I, I'll be honest. I did not think that was the take I was getting when you started that sentence. I don't know where you were going, but I did not think that, that we were, we were going to get that take. That they shouldn't That's do wild. fireworks when, if they lose. I, That's wild. I don't see why. Casey just said that – I mean, that's – I see where you're coming from. I don't agree with you, but I see where you're coming from. What do you think? Casey Tom? just said that they should. He asked. He's going to the fire the game tonight. Yeah. And he asked me if because it's fireworks Friday if they still do the fireworks after a loss. Yeah. And he said they shouldn't do the fireworks after a loss. That's a loss. Why Casey, are you celebrating? Come Casey, on. It's, come on. It's a fan it, engagement thing. It's like a separate thing. show. Yeah. Separate show. You're basically getting two. Yes, you're getting. Uh, I think Rossi still does the fireworks down there, right? Ros- yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, the best in, in best the country, in the business. Right? Best in the I mean, business. You know, they do great work. Have for a long time. Um, I think they're right up there in Loveland, Ohio, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Loveland, I know. Loveland. If you've lived here long enough, um, it's like a 20 minute showcase. It's like it is. You're you're, you're like show. getting. It's the same thing when you're. It's no different than when you're buying uh, a ticket to the game and they have one of the concerts after the game. You're getting two separate shows. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought it was just like they do like a five minute thing to celebrate a the game or. Whatever. Dude, if they it's... did fireworks after only wins, they Rossi would go out of business. Well, I mean, yes, I understand the, the, that they would probably go out of business if they didn't do it every Friday or whatever. But no, I'm saying if, if, if they only did it after they won. You get the connection here, fellas? If they only did fireworks after wins, yeah. they wouldn't have any fireworks. Yeah, I got it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I just don't understand it, but... We'll get you. It's it's a base, I, I it's a baseball tradition. I'll find out tonight. Have you I'll seen the Sandlot? Have you seen the Sandlot? Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's fireworks. It's a baseball tradition. Okay. Well, I will <laughs> finally understand it uh, when I go there. You know, but, but I, this, we, AJ. I mean, I, we might have to ban him. Period. <laughs> Look, I, 
What? I, I'm going to say this. AJ, come on. It doesn't matter whether you're rich, poor, black, white, green. Makes no difference. Some people love fireworks and they can't stand fireworks. I'm a sucker for a good firework. I love show. them. I love them. I mean, when you work in baseball for long enough and you're in the you're in the minors, you're bouncing bouncing around. Like fireworks are the go-to. It's Friday night. You're doing a fireworks show, and you hear fireworks every single Friday for six months. But it's just something about like a little something a little different than the monotony of your the game's over. That's right. You're writing the post game story. You're going home. Like it's just it's there's a little music. There's a little vibe in the crowd. It's just something a little different. The I, only thing that stinks is when you're doing the game on radio and you've yeah, got to do the post-game show. Yeah. And you're sitting there trying to, to talk over it, and it's so loud and, you know, the whole nine yards. It's not like you can just close the windows up and all of a sudden blot that out. But but they don't do it that way anymore. Tommy doesn't do the post-game show, him and Cowboy. They, they make a little, you know, three, four-minute dialogue about the game, and then they're out and Dave Yiddy Arm Brewster. Although I think he's doing it from the uh, – I know he is. He's doing it from the booth. So may, maybe it still has an effect on him too. And I love Fourth of July. I love fireworks. I just – it seems so – I don't – understand what i'm about to go witness by the way like I, you guys said it's a 20 minute show i had no idea i thought it was just like they're not just a shooting celebration a, yeah they're not just shooting it like it's off the barge off the back of the stadium like they're not just shooting a few fireworks out of the smokestacks okay it's big league show yeah it's it a, really it's is they do a great show. job yeah you're gonna enjoy it stick around for a little while all right you know before we get to uh dave biddle in ohio state uh, Casey, any reaction to what you heard from uh, Jay Morrison? Um, I mean, I I thought the Bengals were going to try to keep every uh, the three the three of those guys. That that's their goal. That's their plan, and it makes sense, like you said, to do it before the draft because you don't want to draft T's replacement. I mean, it it all makes sense, right? Um, I just have a hard time seeing them being able to get it done without them all taking team-friendly deals. Um, it, I mean, it, we'll know how it's going with all their negotiations when we see the T. Higgins deal, which it's pro I'm going to say it's 75% done. I don't know that it's a – there's 25% where I'm like, ah, maybe they don't go through with it, but – I think they actually have a deal in place. And I think T. Higgins has agreed to a deal. Okay. But I just, when we see it, I'll give you a better answer on how I feel about the three of them sticking together long term. But if it's over $25 million, man, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm really nervous because that means someone's going to have to really sacrifice to keep them. Okay, well, look, I, I am on the record. On the record as saying... I love T. Higgins. I love the kind of kid he seems to be. I think his mom seems like she's freaking awesome. She seems very cool. I just like her and some of the stuff she does and social media. I think she's fantastic. Um, but I am on the record as saying Higgins is a great player, but this Bengals franchise will be in big trouble if they sign all three guys to long-term deals. Name me one team. And you just heard Jay Morrison give, give a couple of examples. Name me one team that in the modern free agency era has gone out and spent on one quarterback and two wide receivers and ever done anything in the postseason. 
when you're locking up that much money in three guys. I'm going to keep Higgins around this year. I'm going to tag him next year. And I'm going to make my run for the next two years and see what happens. And after that, it's time to trade. And who knows what happens in the next two years? Right. I mean, you never know. He might turn out to be better than Chase. Do I think that's that's probable? No. But Higgins is pretty damn good. Yeah. He's really good. I think he's one of the top ten guys in the league. Right now, Chase would be ranked ahead of him by most, you know, analysts and people who watch this stuff. But um, who knows what will happen the next two years? You just never know. He might end up being your main guy. Where in a year from now, we're sitting here and chase for something. I don't mean injury. Why? But who knows? I mean, you just never know what could happen. And all of a sudden, you you can then make a decision to give Higgins a long-term deal. And maybe you decide you don't want to give Chase a long-term deal. I don't know. I'm just throwing out scenarios. But it doesn't make any sense to me to lock up all three of these guys right now. And the effect it would have on the rest of your team to do business moving forward. The Chiefs last year did not have a wide receiver you even knew his name. They have a tight end you knew his name. Um, anyway. All right, we said we were going to shift gears to uh, – is Dave ready to go? He is ready. We're going to uh, shift gears to, uh, to college football. And look, this is a weird town. Dave Biddle knows this. Uh, Dave, kind enough to join us from up in Columbus where he is everything that is – uh, Ohio State University, editor of Bucknuts on 24-7 Sports, host of On the Money, 97-1, the fan in Columbus, Ohio. David, good morning, young man. How are you today? I'm doing great, Tom. Thanks for having me on, man. Oh, man, really thrilled to have you on. Look, I'm, I'm the big Ohio State fan on this show. My, uh, my brethren here, Casey and Paul, not so much. I'm a huge Ohio State fan. Uh, I love coming up to games when I can come up there. I wish I could come up. My son has a high school lacrosse game tomorrow in Indianapolis, so I can't come up tomorrow. Uh, big day tomorrow uh, in the spring game, if, if people could say there is such a thing as a big day in a spring game. But there's a lot going on and a lot still to be determined uh, at Ohio State. Let's start with quarterback, okay, because this time two years ago, you know, you've forgotten more about it than I know. I never heard of C.J. Stroud. Never heard of the guy, Right. And then all of a sudden, you know, he ends up getting the starting job the next year and has the best two-year career of any quarterback in the history of Ohio State University. Uh, now, Devin Brown is competing with that job with Kyle McCord. Brown is hurt, will not play tomorrow. How do you look at this competition so far? Yeah, Tom, I'll be very surprised if Kyle McCord doesn't try out there as a starter for the Buckeyes uh, in the season opener against Indiana. I don't think there's a huge gap between McCord and Brown, but I think there is a gap. McCord's a year older, has a start under his belt as a true freshman. It was against Akron, but it was a game where C.J. Stroud was hurt. And you're right, C.J. Stroud did kind of come out of nowhere. If you remember, the Buckeyes had a quarterback commit early in that class, Jack Miller, who at the time was a five-star, and then his, his stock started to drop. He stayed in the class. He stayed with the Buckeyes. But Ryan Day went out and got C.J. Stroud, who was a three-star at the time, and he kept moving up. So Jack Miller's now transferred. He's at Florida. C.J. Stroud, obviously, we'll see how high he goes in the draft. But uh, to answer your question, I think Kyle McCord has better control of the offense. Now, there's going to be a drop-off from C.J. Stroud to Kyle McCord, no doubt about it. But I do think by the end of the season or at some point, 
he'll uh, he'll be at the level where Ryan Day wants him. Is he going to be C.J. Stroud? No, he won't be. Um, he can make all the throws. He doesn't have an absolute cannon, but he's got a strong arm. He right? reminds me a little bit of Bobby Hoying going way back in the day to an Ohio State quarterback, kind of like that, where he's got a strong arm, can make all the throws, but you wouldn't consider it like an absolute cannon. Uh, real heady kid, maybe more mobile than he gets credit for, Kyle McCord. He's not going to beat you with his legs, but he's not afraid to take off with the ball. A little bit Joe Burrow-ish. I'm not saying mm -hmm. he's – as good as Joe Burrow, but, you know, mobility-wise reminds me of that a little bit. So we'll see. You know, it's too bad Devin Brown has the injured finger and won't be able to play tomorrow. But uh, hopefully, uh, for Buckeye fans' sake, Kyle McCord's able to put on a show tomorrow. Now, um, Ryan Day, uh, you tell me if I'm right in this observation, he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy. You know, Urban flirted a little bit around with this two-quarterback thing. Uh, the year he had, I think it was still JT Barrett and Cardale Jones had led him to the national championship. Barrett came back from breaking his ankle. I, I get the feeling that the, the Day's not a big fan of a two-quarterback thing. Would that make any sense at all to do that or no? No, I think you nailed it. I think he subscribes to the theory that if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. You know, in that 2015 season that you referenced, it didn't go well. They're coming off a national championship. They had pretty much everybody back, and they were playing musical chairs all season at quarterback with Cardale and JT till the very end where JT Barrett got the job back. So, no, I think he's going to roll with one, and and that'll be Kyle McCord. Again, I'll be shocked if it's not Kyle McCord. I do think he's going to find a way to get Devin Brown in the game a little bit more than Kyle McCord did last year. I felt last year, Tom, at times that Ryan Day was kind of going out of his way to try and get C.J. Stroud the Heisman. He'd be in there in the fourth quarter of blowouts at times. Not like deep in the fourth quarter, but like they'd be way up. I think this year, if they're way up in the, going to the fourth quarter, he's going to let Devin Brown play the entire fourth quarter. But but yeah, I think Ryan Day is going to roll with one starting quarterback and just go with him. And I think it's going to be McCord. Okay. Uh, I mentioned earlier in the show today uh, when we were previewing you coming on, and thanks so much for being with us. Uh, you, you know, look, they're losing two guys, uh, the left tackle, kid from right here in Cincinnati, Paris Johnson Jr. He's going to be a top 15 pick, maybe top 10 pick in the NFL draft. DeWan Jones, starting right tackle last year, he's going to be maybe a first rounder, certainly a, a second rounder, if not first. Um, where are they replacing those guys? Yeah, it's the biggest story of spring, in my opinion, is the offensive line, because you're losing both of those bookend tackles, as you mentioned. Paris Johnson Jr. could be the first offensive lineman off the board. I think he might be a perfect fit in Chicago. Um, I know that Skronsky, a lot of people have uh, Peter Skronsky maybe going to the Bears at nine, the kid from Northwestern. He's about 6'4 with short arms, though. I, that's not an NFL left tackle to me. So I could see Paris Johnson Jr. going ninth. Dewan Jones probably going the second round. There's been some late first-round buzz with him. I think probably second round. And then Luke Whippler, a lot of mock drafts have Luke Whippler, the center, going um, in the second round. That was one that kind of surprised me, Tom. I didn't really have that one on my radar. Uh, I think he played so well against Georgia. He's like, well, this is the best defensive line in the country, and I just had a great game, so I'm going to go pro as a third-year sophomore. I didn't see that coming from Luke Whippler, but he put on a show at the Combine. So to answer your question, at left tackle, replacing Paris Johnson uh, Jr. will be Josh Fryer. He was the sixth man on the offensive line last year when they went to those jumbo sets, and they put that sixth offensive lineman in there kind of like as a jumbo tight end. Um, that was Josh Fryer going in there. He actually started a game against Indiana. He's a kid from Indiana, so that was pretty cool for him to – get a start against Indiana last year. So he's going to slot in there at left tackle. Um, they like him. Obviously, he's not going to be Paris Johnson Jr., but they like Josh Fryer. He's got a couple years of eligibility left. But I think he'll be at least solid at left tackle. Right tackle, we'll see. We'll see, Tom, because I'll get to center in a second. Right tackle is interesting. Right now, they got a young man um, from the Cincinnati area, Tegra Shabola, who's going to be a redshirt freshman. Looks like he's straight out of central casting for a right tackle. 6'6", 320, 330, moves really well, very strong. I mean, he just – Looks like he could be like an NFL player right now, but he's still kind of raw, though. You know, he's only a redshirt freshman, didn't enroll till 
June last year. So Tegra Shabola right now is getting a lot of first-team reps at right tackle. So is third-year sophomore Zen Mahalski. So those two guys are battling for the right tackle job. It's kind of too close to call. And, Tom, I have it on good authority. They're going to – the portal opens tomorrow. The next window for the transfer portal opens tomorrow. And I have it on good authority. Ohio State is going to go after hard after offensive tackles. They want to land at least one offensive tackle in the transfer portal. So that could end up being the starting right tackle is who they get in the portal. And then at center, taking over for Luke Whipple will – very likely be redshirt freshman Carson Hinsman, who's a high four-star recruit out of Wisconsin. Uh, came down to Ohio State in Wisconsin, and the Buckeyes beat out uh, the Badgers um, for a kid in their own state. That's pretty rare to do for an offensive lineman. So Carson Hinsman's been looking good um, this spring. But again, Tom, I mean, as a redshirt freshman, he's going to have his ups and downs, the quarterback of the offensive line. So you're not only losing three starters, you're losing three guys that are going to be, as I said, first-round pick and probably two second-round picks. Yeah. I don't remember an Ohio State offensive line that's lost that much talent to the NFL draft in one year you know the the the, um, the, the skill positions are just uh, aside from the quarterback where there's certainly the, the the debate we just talked about a little while ago and who's going to win it but man oh man uh, but as we know you know skill position players are only as good as the guys that are up front that we've just been talking about here I mean you know the wide receiving core is insane again it's become wide receiver you up there I, I don't know if you'd agree with this I uh, and there have been some great ones that have come through, man. But 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 I think Harrison Jr. is the best Ohio State wide receiver that I have seen since Chris Carter. And there have been incredible wide receivers there. But when you talk to people around the league all the years I was doing in the NFL, and Brian Billick, who coached Carter in Minnesota, he said, man, you can talk about some of the great receivers of all time. Chris Carter's name may not come up but he belongs right there with any of them. And I think Harrison is right in this mold, if not much more athletic than Carter was. I agree with you 100%, Tom, and it's a bold statement, but you're absolutely right. There's been so many great receivers that come through here, you know, even since Chris Carter. And so it's a very bold statement, including the last few years, you know, with Alave yeah. and Garrett Wilson and all these guys. It's, it's crazy. And I agree with you 100%. I mean, Marvin Harrison Jr., um, he's just special. I mean, he's he's got like – the traits that his father has, but he's six foot four. I mean, it's just crazy. It's like you see him standing next to his dad, the Hall of Famer, and it's like, wow, like he towers over his own father. I mean, Marvin Harrison Sr. is what, six foot maybe? Um, right. But Marvin Harrison Jr., as you know, Tom, I mean, he catches everything. Um, he runs great routes. Um, he's such a matchup problem. Yeah, you have people in the NFL saying, like, they think he's going to be the best wide receiver in the NFL in, like, five years. Like, better than guys like Jamar Chase. It's like, wait, hold, Justin Jefferson and those guys. It's like, okay, not to put too much on the young man, but he expects that. You know, you talk to the coaches, and they're like, he's not satisfied. Like, he, his goal is not to be get to the NFL. His goal is to be in Canton next to his father. He wants to be a Hall of Famer. That's, that's where he wants to be. So he's driven. And one other thing I find interesting about him, you would think a kid like Marvin Harrison Jr. would have every reason to be cocky as heck, right? Dad's a Hall of Famer. He's a big-time kid. And then he had a huge year last year. He hasn't changed at all, Tom, and it's real. It's like he's an excellent young man. He's a hard worker. And so if he can stay healthy, I mean, he's going to have a huge year this year, no doubt about it. I mean, he had a huge year last year. He's going to have another huge year this year. Ohio State was devastated uh, with injuries in, in the running backs room last year. Travion Henderson had the phenomenal freshman year. Uh, he was the best freshman running back in the country. He was one of the top five running backs in the country his first year. Uh, Mayon Williams comes on strong last year. Both of them are back this year. Um, it, does it look like both of them are, are, are both of them playing a tomorrow? And if not, are both expected to be ready to go in the fall? 
Mayan might play tomorrow. He'll be limited, though. He's been healthy this spring, but they've been limiting him since you know he's entering his fourth year. He's got a lot of uh, you know wear and, and tear on the tires. So Mayan will probably play a little bit tomorrow. Um, Travion Henderson will not. Uh, he told me he could play in a game right now if they had one, but why risk it? He's coming off that uh, broken bone in his foot that he dealt with all year. His fans were calling him soft because Ohio State's not going to tell the, the opponent what the injury is. So fans all year were like, what's going on with Travion? Well, it turns out he was trying to play running back with a broken foot. Not easy, right? I mean, I played recreational tennis. I couldn't play with a, a broken foot, <laughs> let alone play running back for Ohio State. So um, I think Travion, he'll be he'll be fine for the start of the season. Like I said, he said he could play right now, but he won't play tomorrow. So we'll have Mayan. They'll have Travion Henderson back. Um, Dallin Hayden, I thought, was good as a true yes. freshman last year. 195 and now he's bulked up he looks good tom he's about 205 i mean it's easy to assume that he's gonna be better as a sophomore and he was a true freshman with all that experience and now added weight and he says he's just as fast or faster um they've got uh, chip train uh who's now a full-time running back he looks good this spring so uh yeah they've got and they got evan Pryor, who had the torn patellar tendon in camp last year Doctors say that's anywhere from a six to 12 month recovery, but either way, he should be good to go for the start of the season. You're right. I've never seen an Ohio State running back room that decimated with injuries. I mean, they're in, in the playoff, they're using like Xavier Johnson, a yeah. former walk on wide receiver at running back, and Mitch Rossi, a backup tight end playing running back. They were so decimated. So, uh, yeah, if they can stay reasonably healthy at running back, they feel good about what they've got. All right. Uh, last couple things I want to ask you about. Um, the defense last year, uh, you know, looked at a couple of years prior, uh, they just couldn't, they couldn't get it done. Uh, last year, they bring in Jim Knowles as defensive coordinator. Uh, they looked good for most of the year, but then when it came to money time, you know, especially that Michigan game, I was up there and I, I don't know what the hell was going on, but it, it was just unfathomable some of the things that were happening. Defensively, is this going to be a better team this coming year? Yeah, they'll be better, and, and there's a huge emphasis on limiting those big plays. But they're going to give up some. They just can't give up as many as they did last year. I mean, part of the Jim Knowles defense is they're going to be aggressive, and they know that's going to entail they're going to give up some chunk plays. But they can't do what they did last year. You can't, especially against Georgia. I mean, you're up by 14 points. Like, What do you do in running zero coverage in the fourth quarter up 14 points? So you don't always have to be balls to the wall. You can sometimes like pull off the throttle a little bit, Jim. So I think he's going to do that. And, Tom, I like the talent this year. I mean, Guys like JT Tumolau and Jack Sawyer are not entering their junior year. We see it all the time where guys are good as a freshman, sophomore, and then they something really clicks as a junior, that third year. Same thing with the DBs. I mean, Denzel Burke had a sophomore slump last year. He looks great at corner this spring. They got a couple other corners that look good. Jordan Hancock was hurt last year for most of the season. He's a junior. He's looking good. And they brought in a really good transfer named Davison Igbenosa from Ole Miss. Tall corner, six foot two, 190. Freshman All-American last year at Ole Miss, and he's coming in here. So they've got three really good corners. Um, I like the safeties as well. Guy mm -hmm. to watch is, is sophomore Sonny Styles played a lot against Georgia as a true freshman. He enrolled – I mean, he, he was supposed to be a high school senior last year. He, he didn't enroll early. He reclassified and enrolled. He should have been a high school senior last year, and he's playing against Georgia and playing well in the in the semifinals. So I like what they got going on at safety. And, and then at linebacker, it's usually they got Tommy Eichenberg coming back. I didn't see that coming last year at all, Tom, with Tommy Eichenberg turning into – he was a second-team All-American, was yeah. one of the – Candidates to win the Butkus. That's the best middle linebacker play we've seen at Ohio State since at least Raquan McMillan. So they got Tommy Eichenberg back. They've got Steel Chambers back. And I also like their. I'm kind of going all all over here. I also like their D tackles. I like Tyleek Williams and I like Mike Hall and some of the other guys that got in there. And I like their backup defensive ends. I told you about 
Tuimoloal and Sawyer, everybody knows about them. They got a couple of backup defensive ends that are really good. They were high recruits, Kenyatta Jackson and Caden Curry. So watch out for those guys too. So yeah, Tom, I do think the defense will be better, but you know, we'll find out. The proof's going to be in the pudding. They have to limit those big plays, especially in those big games. All right, last two things I have for you. Uh, you know, I, I hear stories or read about them or whatever it may be uh, that Ohio State has not firmly grasped, and they're not alone, uh, this whole NIL thing. I, is that accurate? If you would have asked me two months ago, I would say absolutely. Things have changed rapidly. They feel good about it. I mean, I'll give you an example. When we had early signing day in December, and we asked Ryan Day about the class, I mean, he was – I even asked him the question because I heard from, you know, excellent sources. There were three or four kids that gave them, you know, verbal commitments and then backed out because of NIL, because Ohio State could not provide upfront money. They still cannot provide upfront money. Ohio State's not doing that. But what they have done is as soon as these kids enroll, they're getting NIL deals. So you got kids, these kids that enrolled early, like Carnell Tate, Jelani Thurman, all of them that are they're doing well this spring, Noah Rogers, all those guys, uh, Jermaine Matthews from Winton Woods in Cincinnati. Those guys got deals right away as soon as they enrolled. So obviously they're telling the recruits that. So things have changed rapidly. Ryan Day, we talked to him the other day on Wednesday. He feels good about it. He's like, we're going to have a big class. We feel good about where we're at. And Tom, that's like a 180 of how, just in my opinion, his attitude about NIL, it was like, he was like, you could tell that he was like distraught about it in December. Maybe distraught's a, a strong word, but he was upset about it. And then on Wednesday, man, he was confident. He was like, we're going to have a big class. We feel good about it. And you're seeing the results. You know, they're, they're getting like a big recruit every week, it seems like. They'll probably get a couple more tomorrow. And um, so, yeah, I think they've made big-time strides over the last few months. Another collective just popped up for Ohio State. Um, the one that we're affiliated with, the Bucknuts uh, and 24-7 Sports, is called The Foundation. That's been around for a while, too. They're doing good things. Now you got two big NIL collectives that are doing good things. So, yeah, the Buckeyes have made up room. There's no doubt about it. And one more thing I'll say real quick. I think it also helps Ohio State that some of these – NIL deals have fallen through at other schools. The famous one where the kid that, you know, committed a yeah. quarterback to Florida and they are going to get millions of dollars and that fell through and then he went elsewhere. So I think kids are realizing that there's a little bit of bait and switch going on. And, but the biggest thing, Tom, is they talk to the other, other recruits and the recruits are telling them, Ohio State's going to take care of you as soon as you enroll. All right, last thing is about Ryan Day. Uh, you know, look, I – People can love the guy, hate the guy. I don't care. Uh, Urban Meyer uh, it was an, it is and was an unbelievable football coach, college football coach. I mean, off the charts, had everything covered, maniacal, the whole nine yards. I mean, dialed in. Ryan Day's dialed in, a little bit different style. But now all of a sudden, back-to-back -back losses against Michigan – uh, and you start to hear naturally, you know, hey, is he in trouble? Does Harbaugh have his number? Blah, blah, blah. The Vrabel stuff from, from the end of the last NFL season. Um, what do you think? I mean, is this a, an important year for Day? It for sure is. I mean, I can't go as far as to say if they definitely lose to Michigan that he's going to be on the hot seat because what would the – what if they go in there – you know, and they're undefeated and they lose by a field goal, you know, he's right. probably not going to lose his job, right? But, like, you know as well as anybody, Tom, I mean, you lose to Michigan three straight times. I mean, that's going to – you know, you're at least going to be somewhat on the hot seat. There's no doubt about it. But Ryan Day is loved around here. Um, I, you know, not talking about every fan necessarily, but most fans love him. And I know the, the administration at, at Ohio State is very happy with him. But you need to beat Michigan. You cannot lose to them three straight years. And it's going to be tough. Right now you look at it. They would be an underdog, a slight underdog, looking at the, uh, you know, the the uh, the 
the look ahead lines, I think right. Ohio State would be like a three point dog. I saw. So um, yeah, man, I it's tough to say. He's overall done a good job, but you can't lose to Michigan three straight times. You know, I mean, again, would he definitely lose his job? I can't go that far, but uh, it, it would be um, it, it would be tough. I mean, the fans would then be you know getting a little riled up to say the least. They were getting riled up this past year. So especially after just dominating Michigan for the last 20 years. So it's an absolutely huge year for Ryan Day, no doubt about it. Well, he's tearing it up on the recruiting trail. There is no doubt about that. You alluded to it. This past uh, seven, eight, ten days has just been unbelievable uh, what they have done uh, for that 2024 class. So um, they're, they're pounding the pavement and getting it done there. All right. Well, Dave, we can't thank you enough for all your time today, man. Thank you so much for your generosity with your time. And uh, we'll catch up sometime soon, I hope. All the best. Thank you, Tom. Such a pleasure. Anytime, man. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Dave Biddle, he'll be covering the, uh, the Buckeyes tomorrow at that spring game. They'll probably have 90-something thousand people out there tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable, these schools. They're not alone. I mean, Alabama will have the same thing. Tennessee, now that they're kind of back, they'll have the same thing where you're getting 90-plus thousand fans for a scrimmage. That's insane. It's me. insane. It's insane. But they're certainly, and, and, and not because they're right up the road in Columbus, they, they are one of the most interesting teams in all of college football to watch what's going to happen with them this year. Because they got players, but you got to have a quarterback. And nobody knew who C.J. Stroud was two years ago. Nobody. I want to get into it, but I want to ask him any more time because he's covered college football for so long. You know, getting wrapped up in that three and four and five star thing. I remember the kid he alluded to, Jack Miller. Uh, he was out of Scottsdale, Arizona. He's going to be the starting quarterback this year at Florida. I mean, when he came out of high school, he may not have been, you know, where they're putting the Manning kid who's going to be a freshman this year at, at, at Texas, but he wasn't far behind. Um, Five-star, all-world, blah, blah, blah. He gets to Ohio State, and, and, and there's a three-star that nobody ever heard of in Stroud. There was a, another three-star, and I'm drawing a blank, who has since transferred as well. Uh, and, and, I mean, Jack Miller couldn't even get near the field. And now he's starting at Florida. So, you know, that old three, four, and five-star thing, I know a lot of us, me included, get wrapped up in that whole thing, but I don't know. Uh, it's been brought to my attention that today is Pete Rose's birthday. Peter Edward. Is Happy that, birthday, Peter Edward. Is it also Chris Welsh's birthday? Yes, it is. The crafty left-hander. My old partner. Happy birthday, gentlemen. Pete and Chris. Hope you have a great day. Chris will be off today. You know, he only announces the, uh, the road games. Barry does the home games. So I hope he's, um, he's made his full-time home now. Um... Chris has out in Arizona. I've told the story that, uh, you know, his, his wife, Beth, uh, has uh, both of her parents right at the same time. Uh, dementia, serious illnesses, uh, both of them. And Chris and his wife, they moved into, you know, his in-law's house, took care of both of them for about the past two years, nonstop, 24-7. Um, Phil... The father-in-law, Phil Myers, passed away. Um, and the mom is still alive and living with them now out in Arizona. And I understand doing quite well. So 
you know, he's spending more and more time there. Love Chris Welsh. Good dude. Good dude. What does this say? Oh, yeah, somebody did say your old partner's birthday. Yes, indeed. What is this all about, Jerome Hunter, that keeps showing up? Uh, he just announced he's coming back for another year next year. And Jack Nungy is not. Yeah, he's not. I mean, it would have been Nungy's seventh year in college, so can't really blame him. I, I thought his Instagram caption, because four years wasn't enough and seven years was too many, <laughs> thought that was a good caption. He seems like a good guy. Oh, he's a great guy. Yeah, he seems like it. Great guy. Yeah, genuinely good dude. But, I mean, at some point – Seven years in college. The NIL. Well, I'd love to go seven years of college. A-Town. Oh, are you kidding me? I mean, are you kidding me? They're paying for your education so you can get a master's, which he probably has by now. Oh, yeah. Okay. He has a Mac. You can get a doctoral degree. (laughs) You get to play basketball. You're getting cash for NIL money, and you know he's getting some pro- probably some pretty decent money and would more so next year because he's a damn good player. I mean, what is the hurry? Seven years of college? Oh Beautiful. My oh, my God. I can't even, um, I can't even fathom Oh, God, I'd love it. Oh, my school. God, would love it. Four years was enough. I don't want my kids going that long. Ugh. I don't have that kind of dough. Oh, man. But, Four was enough for me. Oh, Four man. was enough. Oh, no. For get, get me out of, are you kidding me? Out of class. me? For oh, Hager my like me, God. I was done. Four years was enough. And right after the seventh year, it'd be time for liver surgery. <laughs> yeah. Well, somebody just said that. Tom would need a new liver if he went to school for seven years. The real spirit cat. You are spot on, real spirit cat. One we think alike. Could you imagine getting a doctoral degree as a... Like you, you've timed out all your master's degrees, you got to get it. You got to start on your doctorate to keep playing college basketball. I think it's Can awesome. You imagine how miserable that would be. I can't even wrap my head around that. I think it would be absolutely fantastic. Oh. I mean, just think about the two things that I just said. You're getting your education paid for rather than taking on student loans for yeah. your mom and dad paying for your education. You're getting paid along with your education. A decent chunk of change. Undoubtedly more than Jack Nungy's going to make next year. His first job out unless he's playing pro ball in Israel or something. Okay? And you're playing basketball in one of the best conferences in the country. In a great town to live in. Nice campus down there. Selling out every game. And you're playing bad. I mean, are you shitting me? What gets better than that? What is better than that? Yeah, the NIL thing really has changed the game because it you would have never even considered that, you know, however many years ago. Plus, I mean, the seven years thing is also a little unique because of all the COVID years that are coming out. But, yeah, I mean, that's just a long time. It does sound good. It does sound good, but I think eventually, like, he's married. Just kind of. Well, that's it. That's the, that's the uh, fly in the ointment. Like, eventually. Being you know, a college student, that is definitely married. the fly in the ointment. Yeah, you're married. You're a college student. Been there for seven years. You've transferred. <laughs> maybe, we just, maybe we just move on. 
Xavier would have loved to have had him back, though. I'll There's tell you, no I'll tell doubt you that. about that. I mean, it's I'll a big hit for them, all kidding aside, and we're joking around about it. It's a big hit for them, him not coming back. Oh, yeah. Because that is a dominant player in the middle, seven-footer, can score, can rebound, can defend, block shots. I mean, he, he was a good player for them. Sometimes great player. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, Jerome coming back. Good addition. And okay. how about Davenport going to Arkansas? Yeah. Hey. Must bust. Maybe he gets it together with, with J.D. Um, get, get rid of the White Claw stuff. Have you ever even had a White Claw, Tom? I've had a sip of one. Okay. And never again. That bad, really? Never. I mean, again. I don't drink them consistently, uh, but they're not no terrible. Way, no way. No way. Just give me a good, solid, you know, cold Coors Light. Uh, among many, many other beers, except for Bud Light. Many, many other beers that I am happy to drink. I like myself Miller. Are you uh, having a beer or two tonight, Case? Absolutely. What about all this talk? I don't think the Reds did it. What about all this talk? Uh, they did it in Oakland, and I saw where the pitcher for somebody came out and said, this is ridiculous, where some of the teams are extending their beer sales now at ballparks till the eighth inning because the pitch clock is speeding up the game. And I can't remember who the pitcher was, came out and said, are you kidding me? That means people can drink more beer before they get behind the wheel and drive home from the game? Yeah, these still a legitimate point. Yeah, the stadiums were reporting all these losses financially already just in the first two weeks of the season because the games were cut short and they were losing out on beer sales. I mean, it was a staggering number up in the high six figures these teams were already losing out on. Yeah, so I mean, they need to relax. It's not even like peak summer season. Once it gets hot, people are going to start buying a lot of beer. No, but it's a good point, though, about this thing about how fast the game. I mean, just think about it, right? If it's the same as a bar. If all of a sudden you're a bar, and basically a ballpark could be considered a bar if you drink beer, yeah. right? Okay. If, if your bar normally closes at midnight, but you now close at 1045, you're going to see a significant drop in sales, I mean, regardless I, of whether I, I you're closing that. your beer, you're shutting them down at least an hour earlier than you did before. I mean, I get that, Tom. It's just like, what, what do they expect? That This is their way of sacrificing or trying to make the game better. This is their way of trying to get people to actually enjoy and watch the game, come to the game, like, would you rather have more people come to your stadium, which if you're like the Reds, I think more people would be willing to come if it's a shorter game. Yeah. And risk there not being as much beer sales, but you're, you're getting more people in. So it's not like, I don't know. It's a, it's a really weird, like, uh, if then table there, because you can't really, you get more people and you're going to get more sales, right? But if you don't get more people in, then you're going to lose out on sales anyways. So the fact that the games are shorter, I, I get where you're coming from, that they're going to have a loss in sales. But the point of it is that you're trying to get more people in regardless. So just have a better product on the field, and you'll start 
getting your sales back. There's no doubt about that. Uh, legitimate point here made by the player formerly known as Mouse Cop. It's not a good point, alluding to the player who said it was ridiculous to, uh, to extend the beer sales. He says, how about we police ourselves a little better? Instead of having to cut off sales for all of one or two bad apples. That's a very good point. What does it mean when they say dilly dilly? What is that? That's, that's the Bud, Bud Light's Light. motto. motto. Yeah. It remember is? All the, the, oh, the yeah. I remember the commercial. Okay. All right. So, all right. Yeah. You know when they had somebody else who ran a fratty, to quote the new uh, marketing strategy person now at Bud Light, their, their former marketing strategy was fratty and too old. So she had to change it now. How's that going? You know, I uh, six billion loss in market capitalization. Go ahead. I uh, used the phrase "dilly dilly" to end my best man speech for my cousin. Really? Yeah. You want somebody to end their best man? Is that Tomas? Is he your best man? He's my best man. Yeah. Okay. So, do you want him to end um, your? Um, Best man speech. Best man speech with that. You'd be okay with it? He can do whatever he wants. Okay. Tomas is elite, says Sir Boy Wonder. He is elite. Okay. Best of the Good. best. Okay. All right. Uh, we have um, Matthew Lane coming up here in a matter of moments um, to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs. Maybe I should take off my Reds gear before he gets on. Tell you what, I was reading a, a lengthy piece today about the Chiefs and the way their offseason is gone. We know they brought in Taylor, you know, to basically replace Orlando Brown Jr. We'll get into all this with, with Matt here in a few minutes. Um, but, um, you know, they, they've lost a lot of guys on this team who you may not think are star players necessarily. Frank Clark is gone. Carlos Dunlap is gone. Guys, it gave him some good moments. Yeah. Certainly against the Bengals. Dunlap, Clark, um, you know, they still have Jones. They only have, I think it's four and a half million uh, cap space left uh, to address some of this and what they might do in the draft. Smith Schuster is gone. He's up in New England now. Um so, you know, we asked a question, and thanks, guys, in the chat for bringing this up, Everett and, and, um, and Sir Boy Wonder and, and so on and so forth. We asked the question all the time um, about are the Bengals better today than they were when the season ended last year? Now, you have to take into account that their offensive line was ravaged with injuries once they got into the postseason. We know that. We know that Williams didn't play. Collins had gone down. Kappa was down. So, you know, maybe it's not fair to ask it in that way. I'd probably prefer to ask the question, which I haven't done, so shame on me. Are they better than the team that ended, let's say, the regular season last year, or the team maybe even in mid-December, which had got on that long run, won eight in a row uh, into the playoffs before losing the championship game to Kansas City when they had all their quote-unquote horses, right? Their regular guys. Because I think it was, what, 15 weeks in a row they started the same five offensive linemen. Yeah, 15 weeks in a row. Yeah. So 
you know, perhaps that's a uh, perhaps that's a better question to ask. Um, some of the chatter saying, "No, the Bengals are not better. Are the Chiefs better?" Okay. I don't think the Chiefs are better than they were last year, but maybe that's me being biased. And the offseason, as Everett points out, is not finished. No. Your draft is a huge part uh, of the offseason. That's right. It is. It's very important. I think out of every everyone in the draft, um, that was playoff contenders, made a deep push. You know, some teams we're not talking about enough, like the Eagles, they got two first-rounders, and they were just Super Bowl runner-ups. Yeah. Um, Chiefs being at, you know, 32, I think they're going to have plenty of options. This draft is, uh, got a lot of talent. It's not got a lot of top end talent, but it's really stacked with quality starting type players. So I think, uh, it's going to be interesting to really see how the draft shakes up. I'm always a, a huge, uh, draft nerd i i just study the dickens out of players one through 150 you know all right so give me one name casey since you paul go ahead well i just want to ask real quick matt lane knows it's eastern time right i'm sorry i have to ask this on the air but let me check i just want to i just want to check and make sure that he knows that it's eastern time because he's always been right on time with us 11 30 eastern was his question yes that's fine just want to check and make sure. Okay. All right, go ahead. You right, said no, you had no, a I was just starting to ask, Casey, since you follow this draft stuff so closely and follow some of these players and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, g- g- give, me, give me one or two names of somebody out there. You've talked about Dewan Jones, and maybe he's one or two of the names before. But, but, but. Give me one or two names of a guy that could end up being the 28th pick in the draft for the Bengals that we have not talked a lot about. Okay. Um, Darnell Wright, which is the name that was dropped from Jay Morrison, I think that would be their number one choice. Um, Emmanuel Forbes, he's the corner from, I think, Mississippi State. It's an SEC team. He's a smaller guy. Um, I, I personally would not reach on a guy like that just because of the weight issue, but he plays very well. He's got a lot of really good tape. Comes up and makes a lot of good plays in the run game, which is very surprising for his weight, especially in the SEC. Um, Deontay Banks, that's another corner that could possibly fall to them. He's kind of in the top 20-ish range right now. Uh, Dalton Kincaid, a tight end. Um, I know we talk a lot about Michael Mayer, especially on this show. Um, Really good athletic pass catching tight end I think that could be an option for them as well um, another couple of players that are defensive guys that come to mind that would really help boost the pass rush of the Bengals Kalijah Kansi yep. um, that was also dropped on I feel like Jay's we've heard show. that name a lot um, he's he has got the shortest arms ever recorded for a defensive tackle which is your your biggest scare. He's got like 29-inch wingspan, which is like... Or, K- 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 Casey. 29-inch wingspan. Well, twi- is... like 29 from... Oh, okay, okay. Sorry. 
should clarify. T-Rex arms. Yeah, he's got small arms, which, you know, Geno Atkins was very similar to that. He had, like, I think 31-inch. Not a bad player. Yeah, not a bad player. (laughs) So you can't really take a whole lot away from that. But he is a smaller defensive tackle. He's, like, 280, but really good in pass rush. Um, Will McDonald, that's one that is not talked a lot about in Bengals spaces, but that's a guy I really like. Fits the Bengals mold, that 6'4", 260 type guy, really long. I think he recorded the longest arm span, um, which is the complete opposite of Clyde Jacansi, in the the draft process. Um, He's from, I think, Minnesota or... um, Iowa State, one of okay. those two. So he's a Big Ten guy um, or a Big 12 guy. And he, uh, he, he to me, is the sneaky guy to me. I think he's, he's someone that would fit the Bengals mold a lot, brings really good pass rush, defends the run really well. Um, he's in my top five pass rushers, at least in this draft class. Um which is saying a lot because there's a lot in this draft class. Um, I see Brian Brees a lot. That's not one of my favorites. Um, I see the other Clemson pass rusher, Miles Murphy. He's also not really one of my favorites either. It's really hard to gauge. You know, it's weird. The Clemson thing, you know, for as many great players as they've had, especially on defense, they have not had the run of great pros on the defensive line um, like some other schools have had. It's kind of weird. All right, so go so so. Where are you saying if you were a betting man? Yeah, give me give me just. You've already talked about some of them, but if you were a betting man and you had to bet, and I know you don't have a crystal ball and you can't decide who's picking in front of the Bengals, what they're going to do. If you had to bet position, I asked Jay Morrison this question. Yeah, in order, he wouldn't give them to me in order. In order. Position of need, where are they going? First round pick. It's either A, B, C. Put them in order. What do you think? If if a tackle falls to them, that's number one for sure. Um, I think second is corner. I think third is probably your defensive line, edge rusher type okay. guy. Okay. Um, he said tight end. He wouldn't put it in order. I – in my opinion, I think they're going to win. Let me interrupt real quick. Yeah. Matt is saying he does not have a link. I, Uh-oh. I sent him an email. Got saved in the drafts. Let me uh, let me send him another email. Or I can just message him on Twitter if that's... Yeah, that's tell, him, tell him we'll DM it to him. Tell him we'll what? We'll DM it to him on Twitter. All right. Yeah, All I right. just sent it to him on, All right. on Twitter. So... We'll get Matt Lane in here very shortly. But I I don't think tight end is – I don't think it should be on the Bengals' list of priorities high in the first round. But that's just because I think you get better value later on the draft. Um, however, there is a real possibility that all the tight ends fall because tight end is just not a very uh, – it's not a very highly 
touted position to draft. Yeah, it's a lot like the running backs. It's not as bad as running backs, but it's it's up there. And there's a lot of question marks with Kincaid with his injury history. I personally would stay away from guys that have a problem with their back. That's just me. If you can remember Cedric Abwehi, I'm staying far away from that. Um, Michael Mayer, he to me is, like I said, he's got a limited athleticism. You're not going to get a guy like Travis Kelsey, and you're not going to get a guy that is... Who, by the way, Travis Kelsey, many may not remember out of UC, was a third-round pick. Right, right. A lot of the great tight ends that you would name are in the second, third round. There's very few and far in between that are first-round guys that have really panned out and worked out. Um, but I don't know. Michael Mayer, he, he does a lot of things on the field that just mentally that that's why I think he's so far. He's a special board. dude. He's a special dude in terms of just spatial awareness, um, positioning his body in certain ways to make contested catches that – you know, that's why I think he's very high up on the board. He can also inline block, which is very, very good, um, especially in today's day and age where there's not very many inline blocking tight ends. Um, you got a lot of like H backs, um, guys that need like the help and the double team and whatnot. Michael Mayer's not that guy. He's going to be able to, you know, take on a guy one on one on the edge. But let me uh, set up Matt Lane really quickly. Okay, and, cool. Um, Cool. You know, I, I, I um, you know, you go back and look at Kelsey. I, I love to get Jason Kelsey on this show sometime. I, I, I think that uh, or Travis Kelsey. I, I think that his brother Jason, of course, is an All Pro every year for Philadelphia as their center. Uh, but I, I love to get that dude. I don't know if there's any chance of that. I'm going to reach out and see if we can't have it happen because his whole story is really unbelievable. When you look at, you know. Um, he, he was coming out of high school up in Cleveland Heights, uh, Ohio. And, uh, you know, the only scholarships he was offered were uh, Akron and Eastern Michigan, Miami of Ohio, UC. Really, the only reason he went to UC is because his brother was already down there. He's a quarterback in the wildcat, wildcat formation his first year. His second year, he gets suspended from the team. Third year, and now all of a sudden, here we go, right? But then it's a third-round draft pick. I think he was 83rd or 63rd. What was he that year? Had to be 83rd. 63rd pick, round three. Uh, and now he's the best uh, tight end uh, in the NFL. Eight-time Pro Bowler. Uh, the irony is is that, uh, you know, he's already set records in the NFL for most 1,000 uh, receiving yard seasons by a tight end, seven Consecutive 1,000-yard receiving seasons by a tight end. Seven receiving yards in a single season by a tight end. Over 1,400 in a year. Um, this guy, but many will tell you in Kansas City, he might be the second greatest tight end in the history of the NFL when all is said and done, but he'd be the second greatest tight end in the history of the Kansas City Chiefs when all is said and done. Because they had some dude named Tony Gonzalez there. Who wasn't too bad? I would say so. <laughs> Not too shabby. Gonzalez holds every record um, as far as his total receptions, yards. But who knows? I mean, Kelsey just keeps right on rolling. He can rub you the wrong way a little bit, though. You know what I mean? Saturday Night Live and, you know, some of the stuff. 
Does he rub you the wrong way at all? Tra- Kelsey? Yeah. I mean, I think he's just – I don't know. I ha- I Sometimes I try, to, I try to separate what I think about him from being a Bengals fan from being what I would think about him if I was a Chargers oh, fan. Oh, yeah. Or No, sorry, Chargers fan. Because no, no, I would say like a – I'm trying to think of the most neutral – like a – who's a team in the like – the, like the Seahawks. Right, who cares, right? Where it's like you just have no opinion. Because a lot of the things you think about when you're a Bengals fan of Travis Kelsey, like getting up on the stage, making some comments like that, you're like, hey, you're kind of rolling. Well, your hey, eyes. you know, we've said it all along on this program. You know, if you're going to talk the talk, you better be able to handle the heat coming back the other way. I mean, because there was a lot of smack talking going on by a lot of people here in Cincinnati, including that mayor we have here. (laughs) Did you guys, you know, you don't live in the city. You live in the city, Paul. Did you get to vote for that mayor we have here? The jabroni? I didn't vote for him. All right. (laughs) All right. Well, I know Jason Lane didn't vote for him. Or Matt Lane. I mean, Matt Lane. I'm sitting here. I'm talking about Jason Kelsey here a second ago. Matt Lane. Uh, joining us, kind enough to join us, uh, and, and has been a friend of the program. We appreciate it, writer and analyst for KC Sports Network. A- answer me a question here now real quick, Matt. Okay. And I asked our guys a question. Even as a Kansas City Chiefs guy, right, and you cover the team in the whole nine yards, does Travis Kelsey just rub some people the wrong way, or is he one of those guys where he plays on your team, you love the dude? Oh, it's definitely the latter. I mean, there's, I think he's outside of Patrick Mahomes, he's going to be like the most commonly placed favorite Chiefs player for most fans right now. Yeah, I I, I figured that was the answer. I mean, what a player. It's unbelievable. What a player. Uh, Heck, the Bengals wish they had him. They don't. Um, I asked this question, uh, Matt, um, about the Bengals on a regular basis. Uh, And I'm going to ask you the same question as it pertains to the Chiefs. As we sit here today, less than two weeks away from the draft uh, and less than a couple of months removed from winning another Super Bowl there in Kansas City, are the Chiefs better today than they were at the end of last year, at least on paper? That's that's a tricky one. Um, I think defensively, yes. I think defensively, some of the moves they've made with Drew Tranquil, Charles O'Minihue, I think those will pay kind of big dividends going along with like the young guys developing going into the next year. So defensively, yes. Offensively, I, I don't know. They're putting a lot of pressure on young wide receivers as of right now to pick up slack, to develop quickly and replace Juju Smith-Schuster, who didn't have this, you know, all pro level year, but he was clearly their second best receiving weapon, the guy that they relied on the most after Travis Kelsey. And I think you saw that in big moments and they, they don't really have a replacement for him right now that's very proven. So offensively, it's a little more up in the air. Defensively, I would say they are. Um, when you say defensively, and I'm not going to say it surprises me because I'm not familiar with some of these young players that they're ready to obviously hand over the reins to, so to speak. What I do know is, is when the Bengals and Chiefs played in the AFC Championship game last year, Jones, who had done nothing against the Bengals in like five prior games, was the best player on the field. I think he turned out to be the best player on the field, period, of any player on any team in the NFL postseason last year. But, you know, Dunlap and Clark did some good things for this team. Do they feel like some of these younger guys are going to be able to replace him, if not be better than them? Yeah, that's definitely the the way they're angling towards. Um, Carlos Dunlap and uh, George Karloff just kind of split reps. I think Dunlap probably did play a little better than him last year, but that's kind of expected for a rookie. 
I think it's really the addition of Charles O'Minihue that, that carries a lot of the weight of, like, especially the defensive front being better. Just his versatility, he brings a little bit more juice to the pass rush. The Chiefs don't have a lot of explosive edge rushers off the side. That you know, Frank Clark at this point in his career, Carlos Dunlap, it's a lot of power. It's a lot of just kind of crushing the pocket, waiting for Chris Jones to do his thing. I think O'Minihue brings an element that they didn't have last year. So, like, from that aspect, I just think that his addition is going to make them a little better. You expect Carl Loftus to be at least a little better than he was last year. He was already getting a good chunk of reps. So that's why I have a little bit of faith in that defensive line to be able to replace a Clark and a Dunlap. And to be fair, both are still free agents. I would be, almost be a little surprised if one of them isn't back in Kansas City before, you know, training camp really gets rolling. Um, okay. Uh, the secondary was very young last year. The Chiefs uh, proved that you can play a young secondary and you can win a Super Bowl. Uh, the Bengals are staring down the barrel to a lesser extent than the Chiefs were last year, playing a lot of young guys. Um, but but let's talk about the one Chief that did leave the 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 you know the the, the big fish in the sea, if you will. And that being Orlando Brown Jr. Are you surprised? Before we talk about the guy you brought in to replace him, are you surprised that Brown is no longer a chief? Uh, it kind of. It did seem like they want, they tried last year to sign him long term. So like that was their goal. Their goal was to keep him and sign him long term. I do think uh, what we saw last year from Orlando Brown Jr. though is he he never really took that final step. He got better but he never really elevated his game to that next level that was going to force the Chiefs to pay him like a top five left tackle, and I think that's what he was hoping for. So when we got to the end of the season and you just saw his his kind of growth just kind of flatlined a little bit with the Chiefs, I think at that point it was, hmm, if he doesn't come down on his price, it's probably not going to happen, and it just never sounded like he was willing to come down to what the Chiefs thought he was going to be worth with them. Now, obviously, once he hit free agency and he, you know, it becomes open to everybody else, you probably feel a little bit less or more willing to take a little bit less money than you would have from the team that was employing you previously. Um, Taylor gets brought in to basically replace him. That's a little bit younger version. Do they feel like – in other words, what did they like more about Taylor? Was it the price? Was it uh, the youth? Was it the skill level uh, that they liked better about him than they did Brown? And it, the youth? Well, they're both young, so I can't even say youth. Uh, yeah. It's going to be more of the scheme fit, right? It's going to be more of just Orlando Brown Jr. is a very good left tackle, but playing in Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes, who doesn't have the greatest pocket discipline. So he'll drop far. He'll drift. He's moving up, back, left, right. And that's asking Orlando Brown Jr. to redirect his momentum multiple times in a snap. It's asking him to stay connected to guys that are more athletic than him. And that just wasn't where Orlando Brown Jr. was his best at. Like, that wasn't the best situation for him. Whereas Taylor, I think a little bit lighter on his feet, has a little bit better lateral agility. So if you're thinking, okay, you're going to have him block to, you know, seven yards deep, but he might have to redirect inside or run his block around a little bit deeper in the pocket because of Mahomes, they probably feel a little bit more comfortable with Taylor doing that than they did Orlando Brown Jr. Because that's just like the area where he starts to struggle a little bit. Um, when you look at the offensive line as a group, um, there is a hole now over there at right tackle. Where is the team there? Is that something they're looking in the draft? Do they feel like they have a young player who's ready to take over that spot? It's hard to tell. They drafted Lucas Niang in the third round a couple years ago. He hasn't really been able to get on the field. You know, he sat out the COVID year. He came in and started a little bit for the team before suffering an injury. It took him a long time to get back. So 
they don't know what they have in Lucas Niang, but they were excited for him when they drafted him and brought him in. So maybe they're holding on a little bit of hope still there that he can come in and compete. But outside that, I would imagine it's it's definitely coming from the draft. I don't I don't know how comfortable they are with Lucas Niang being given the starting spot, but I think they're okay with him competing. So I wouldn't be shocked to see them wait until day two, maybe even early day three to bring in another tackle to compete with him. I don't think they're in a rush to necessarily replace him. Although I don't know if they're just going to be happy handing him the keys to that job again. Uh, Walk me through the running back situation a a little bit, because two years ago, I think his all-purpose yards were something like over 11 or 1,200, talking about Clyde uh, Edwards-Hilaire. Then last year, uh, Pacheco comes in. Nobody had ever heard of Pacheco. Uh, Seventh-round pick. Unbelievable athlete. You know, look, I'll be the first to admit, I didn't know who Pacheco was, but when you watch that dude play and watch him run, it just blows my mind that these so-called NFL experts and scouts did not see something from this dude in college which would, wouldn't lead you to believe that he certainly was better than a seventh-round pick, but that's where he ends up. Uh, but, but look, this time last year, Edwards Hilaire was a guy everybody was talking about in Kansas City, good-looking player. He's still technically on the roster. Um, how, does he have a chance? Will he get a chance to get his job back? I, I mean, if he's still on the roster, the Chiefs will keep things mostly as an open competition. But I think it's going to be hard to supplant uh, Pacheco as the, the de facto starter right now. Uh, the issue the Chiefs are kind of running into with the running back room is Pacheco, very good player. Everybody likes him and what he's going to, but he's not a complete runner. He's kind of a, it's a one-speed runner. He's going to hit the hole. He's going to yep. hit it hard. He's coming downhill. They don't have someone that's going to operate with a little more patience, someone that's going to be looking for to just change their pace a little bit more. And I don't – Clyde Edwards-Hilaire could be that guy, but they're going into their final year with him. They didn't pick up or they're not going to pick up his fifth-year option. He has struggled to stay healthy. He's struggled to really carve out a role since his rookie year on this team. So I, they might look to add, whether it's just bringing Jarek McKinnon back in free agency or in the draft, I do think they are going to look for another running back to pair with Pacheco. And it's right now, I don't think they have confidence that that's going to be Clyde. So I, I don't know where it's going to come from, but I would be a little surprised if Clyde isn't the running back three once the season starts rather than the running back two. Okay. All right. Well, uh, Matt, we thank you so much uh, for your time here today and talking about the Chiefs. Uh, This has turned into a nice little rivalry between your city and uh, our city here, and hopefully it continues for a long, long time to come. All right. It's been fun. Thank you guys for having me on. And yeah, like I'm I'm sure we're going to see each other get in the AFC championship game, just like it (laughs) seems like uh, we're destined to do for a couple of years now. Well, well, we're going to see you before that because the Bengals got to come back into uh, uh, Arrowhead Stadium again during the regular season, which could be the very first game of the NFL season. We'll wait until May to find out that. But if I'm the NFL, I don't know if it gets any better than that game as a season opener. Yeah, I mean, that, that would definitely get the most viewers. That's still an Amazon game on Thursday. I, I don't know entirely what the schedule does. So I, I'd be interested to see how they do it. But that's going to be that Thursday night opener, if I'm not mistaken, if that'd be the case. And, I don't. I don't know if the NFL wants to let the big or the big networks let that one go to Amazon if it's still Amazon. I well, I see. think I think that NBC gets the first game of the year. Okay. Year. I think I could be wrong. I, and of course that's that that's always changing. So who knows? Anyway, it's going to be right. fun when they do play. And uh, have a great rest of your weekend. Thanks so much for your time today. Uh, thank you guys. You guys do the same. All right. Great to have him with us. Chiefs football. Casey gets you all fired up. Oh yeah. I mean, you, you know, get so worked up about the Chiefs. You know, 
Uh, he just left, but I was just about to say, um, if we do make another trip out there, a uh, uh, Chatterbox um, company trip, uh, it would be cool to meet up with him. And I know he's not exactly from Kansas City. No, I think or, he's in North Carolina. He's in North Carolina. I think it's what he said when yeah. we first had him on. But he's really tuned into everything that is, you know, you don't have to live there. I mean, they have other guys for that network that are going to cover the team. Yeah, I mean, I think I think this is like you said, a rivalry that is uh going to last for a long time. Yep. As long as Mahomes and Burrow are playing for their teams respectively, I think it's always going to be talked about. Um it's always going to be a big game regardless of how either team is doing. Um they are destined rivals. And I'm excited for that. I I think it's going to be fun every single year. I don't think we're ever going to really get a bad game from them. So, I agree with you. I agree. They, they've all they've all been great. Um, okay, before we um, before we uh, hand it over, Reed Mouse on his way in here uh, for boxed lunch. He'll be joined by Paul, Casey, and the crew. It's like the Beatles. Paul, the crew. Mm-hmm. Um, do we have a cherry on top today? Uh, we had the one from yesterday, which actually here, I'm going to bring it back up. We're not going to throw it up on the screen, but I'm, I'm going to bring it up because it's the one we were going to use yesterday. A, a, just a quick take from you on this. Did you see that Salt Lake City put in a bid for a Major League Baseball team? I did not see that. Yeah. Salt Lake City, Jeff uh, Passan tweeted this out two days ago. A Salt Lake City consortium led by the former owner of the Utah Jazz plans to pursue a Major League Baseball expansion franchise in the coming years. Okay. They have a AAA team out yes, there. Yes, yes. Beautiful town, um, beautiful area, part of the country. Would draw like Denver does from a lot of different surrounding regions. Um, hey, there are worse places you can go than Salt Lake City, I'll tell you that. That's there true. are a lot worse cities you can go to than Salt Lake City. Um Last thing, fellas, Casey, you talked about going to the game tonight. Yeah. I just want to get your very quick impressions, boys, because you know what else opened today? Opens today? What would that be? Kings Island. Oh. Hmm. You guys big Kings Island guys before we get to box lunch? Yay or nay? I mean, get on all the rides, roller coasters. I know it sounds like I'm 10 years old, but I love a good roller coaster. Amen, brother. Amen. I love a good roller coaster. Amen. I'm not. I'm not. A, not ashamed to admit it. I know it sounds like I'm 10, but no, it doesn't. Love a, roller love a coasters roller are coaster. for everybody. Yeah. Love a good roller coaster. I'm. I like roller coasters a lot. I like Kings Island on days where they're not super crowded. I can't do crowded days at Kings Island. It's just to me that's boring and. You're just usually getting beat down by the sun, and you're just standing in line. You only ride four <laughs> rides in the day. It's just boring. He's out yeah, on Kings Island. I'm out so on much Kings Island. I'm out on Kings Island when it's busy. <laughs> I'm I am gravy. Yeah, Trace is getting ready ride. to meet with them in about four or five minutes from now. At, uh, so you know, is he? There we go. There we go. <laughs> Case right in the tank. Casey, you live in Mason now. You gonna get a gold pass? That's right. I might. I might. I mean, why not? I could walk down there probably. So I know a couple people that live out in Mason. You can get a pass now at Kings Island where you eat for free. It's incorporated in the cost of the pass. They have a little couple buffets. You go there, and it's 
it's like 220 bucks for the year or something not bad. And I know people that live in Mason. Dude, that's pretty good. They go there so you for get dinner. in the park and you eat whatever you want, whenever you there, want. There's very specific. Outside of, yeah, outside, there's, right, right. There's very specific places you go where they have, like, buffets and stuff like that. And you just go there and you get pizza, chicken fingers, whatever the normal concession stand food is. But I know people that live out in Mason. They get this pass and they'll just be sitting around on a Tuesday evening when the park's open. And you be like, hey, you want to go to Kings Island for dinner? And they're. Boy, now that's pretty cool. They drive on out there, ride a roller coaster or two, get something to eat, then leave. They're for an hour and a half. It's a great, I, just saying, Casey. I think that's, in fact, uh, right here, uh, who said it? Uh, Everett says, hey, it's one of the cheapest ways to eat any food. All honestly, he said it's great. Right. Okay. I didn't know that. That's uh, I'm going to be an empty nester uh, this time next year, so maybe I'll, I'll do that. You like roller coasters? my wife, I love roller coasters. Man, I, I'd go anywhere, anywhere to get on roller coasters. Love them. Nice. Love them. Here All right, go. boys. Uh, have a good weekend, Casey. Enjoy the ball game tonight. Oh, thank you, Paul. Any big plans? Anything going on? Uh, baseball tonight. Baseball doubleheader tomorrow. So they, these Miami. Guys, no, I'm with Xavier. These oh, guys Xavier! They've won 11 in a row. Won 11 in a row. 20th ranked Huskies coming into town. But these guys have the number one ranked Oklahoma Sooners coming into town. How about that? Number one ranked team in the country number coming to Miami. Number one team in the country. Back to back national champions. How about that? Be like, be, be like Alabama coming and playing at Jaeger Stadium against the, the Miami Redhawks. Alabama hey, football, right? That's right. And Miami hand them their tail. All right. Root for Miami to beat everybody except for, you know it, boys, <laughs> the Ohio University. All right. Casey, Paul, thank you. Box lunch. Here we go. Have a great weekend, everybody.